Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for today is our Old Testament lesson from the last chapter of Isaiah, and especially these words of the Lord. The time is coming to gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and shall see my glory, and I will set a sign among them, and from them I will send survivors to the nations. This is God's word for us today. So for the last few weeks, uh, many of us have been glued to our television sets or or mobile devices, uh, watching the the Olympic Games from Rio de Janeiro. Uh, Things started out pretty well for our country as as our swim team just dominated in the pool, uh, led by son of Poseidon, Michael Phelps, and uh, Katie Ledecky, who I'm pretty sure is actually a mermaid. Um, Then... Three-foot-tall Simone Biles and the U.S. women's gymnastic team uh, put to rest any hope I had of ever feeling athletic again after seeing what they could do in their championship performances. Uh, Though I bet if I tried pretty hard and trained, uh, I could walk all the way across the balance beam. Uh, Some people had to dive in green water. Carrie Walsh Jennings extended her streak of, of most Olympic medals in beach volleyball with a hyphenated last name, and uh, we got to watch many fast people try to determine who could, in the words of a pastor friend of mine, move quickest in an oval, and uh, that included the world's fastest man, who is as quick as lightning and has a name to match it. Now, I know that that some of you exist, but uh, it's hard to find anybody who just doesn't like the Olympics. Aside from the stunning displays of athletic ability in each of the events and the opportunity to watch sports that that we forget exist until every four years, water polo, uh, the Olympics are a time for for the whole world to celebrate and rejoice because people from all over the world join together in one place inspired by one quote-unquote eternal flame with one common purpose— No matter what may be happening at home, civil unrest or or the threat of of war or terrorism, nations from across the globe gather together in peace and in brotherhood. The Olympic rings uh, that we've been seeing a lot of this past month uh, symbolize this togetherness. The five colors of the rings, uh, at least one of each of those is, uh, is represented in every flag of every nation that's represented in the Olympics. It's an admirable sentiment, and the Olympics are are a hopeful time for the world. But the closing ceremonies of this year's Olympic Games are today. Athletes and spectators and reporters will all return home to their nations, and more likely than not, those nations will return to the same hostilities and tensions that existed beforehand. Any hopes of real unity brought about by the Olympics are are likely to be just as scattered about as the athletes who will be returning home. Time and again, the scriptures show us that this is the pattern that our sinful humanity tends to follow. Stories of separation are just as dominant in much of the biblical narrative as the U.S. swimmers were in the pool. From the very beginning, in fact, we read about how God created a perfect world in perfect harmony And almost immediately, Adam and Eve disobeyed God and were separated from him. Genesis says 
Therefore the Lord God drove out the man. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Then we read of Cain, the the first child born on the earth, and also its first murderer, who, after killing his brother Abel, who was mentioned in our epistle lesson, goes on to lament, I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And then we are told, went away from the presence of the Lord. Just a little bit later, we get to Babel, where the people of the earth all gathered together and shared one language, but also shared the sin of pride. And so there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Things seem like they're beginning to improve a little bit later on as the nation of Israel is freed from slavery in Egypt and eventually united as one under one king, but that doesn't last long either. In fact, it just lasts for for the rule of, of three kings. When King Solomon dies, the kingdom is split in two. In 722 BC, due to their idolatry, the northern kingdom of Israel is is destroyed and led away and scattered throughout the entire Assyrian empire that had conquered them. The southern kingdom of Judah fares a little bit better for a little while, but but they fail to heed the warnings of prophets like Isaiah and, and Jeremiah. And the nation of Babylon conquers them in 587 BC, tearing down Jerusalem's city walls destroying its temple and carrying its people off into exile. The prophet Ezekiel tells us that that the glory of the Lord that had dwelt on Mount Zion with his people left them behind. The Bible is full of stories of separation and so are our lives. You probably don't have to think long or hard to, to have something come to mind. The pain of separation or divorce, deadbeat dads who just aren't really there, betrayal by a close friend that rips apart your relationship. You know, this time of year, many of you are adjusting to, uh, to the difficult, unsettling feeling of being empty nesters as your, your children whom you've raised up have now flown the coop and are separated from you by distance, if not more. Along with the Summer Olympics, every four years we also are graced with the presence of the the American presidential election cycle. And and we're reminded through that just how divided our own nation can be. You know, Trump, Hillary, or uh, none of the above. World events never fail to demonstrate how fractured and broken the entire earth is. As nations are at war with one another, terrorists seem to be able to, to strike at will. Even positive, exciting things in our lives can lead to separation. And this is a truth that really hit home for my family this this past few weeks as uh, we deliberated this call in Fort Wayne and and faced the very real possibility of having to say goodbye to very dear and beloved friends here. And no matter what separations we experience in this life, the greatest separation comes at the end of life. Death has no respect for love and and separates husbands and wives, parents and children, one friend from another, as we are cut off from the land of the living. As far as we can tell in our own experience, life always ends in death. Life always ends in separation. 
but. Isaiah ends his prophecy by telling us that this is not how the story ends. He shares with us what one commentator calls the winding but memorable path by which the compassion of God will reach its all-embracing end. God is not satisfied to leave us separated from one another. God certainly will not stand for us to be separated from him. Instead, he, he calls, gathers, enlightens us with his good gifts and Holy Spirit. So let's take a look at this together. Um, if you have a smartphone app with the Bible on it, get that out. If you want to grab a Bible from the pew, I'd invite you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 66. And we'll take our Old Testament lesson kind of verse by verse here. So our reading begins, Isaiah 66, uh, verse 18, where God says, The time is coming to gather all nations and tongues. Now God isn't talking about the Olympics here. He's, he's talking about a much greater event that's been foreshadowed throughout all of Isaiah's prophecy. The, the coming of a day when God will bring together people of every nation and every tongue where separation will end and an eternal togetherness will begin. God is the one who does this gathering and just as he confused the languages of the nations, now he brings them back together as one, reversing Babel and amassing a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. This gathering will put the Olympics to shame and will result in a lasting and eternal unity between the people of the earth, gathered together by God and welcomed into his kingdom. This is what Jesus is talking about in our gospel lesson where he says that people will come from east and west and from north and south and will recline at table in the kingdom of God. God gives us little, little tastes of this in our own life, the, the camaraderie of good friends, family reunions, confirmation class reunions. When I went to seminary, I gained friends from, from all over the country, all over the world, from New York City to Los Angeles to rural Nebraska to Ethiopia and, and Burma and even this, this really cold tundra-like place that I'd heard of but never been to called Michigan. Just a month ago, I, I got to go to the National Youth Gathering with 15 of our youth. And, and in addition to us, there were about 25,000 other youth and adults that, that gathered together from all over the place to grow closer to Jesus. Well, in a similar way, this final eternal gathering that Isaiah tells us about is not just any type of gathering. It has a very specific purpose and effect. God says, they shall come and shall see my glory. As I mentioned before, the Bible tells us that God's glory actually left his people behind when he allowed the temple to be destroyed by Babylon, events that Isaiah talks about earlier in his book. But now, God's glory is back with his people. And in these two verses, in this last chapter, Isaiah mentions God's glory three times. Throughout the prophetic writings, the the glory of God is almost always linked with the deliverance of his people. And it's no different here. God says, I will set a sign among them. That, that word sign is often used for the, the mark of a covenant that brings redemption. God will set up a sign 
And when it is lifted up, it will draw all people to him like an electromagnet. Does that remind you of a quote? Jesus says in in John chapter 12, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. The cross of Jesus is the sign set up by God to end the separation of him and his people. On the cross, Jesus suffered separation from God so that we will not. He not only left behind the glories of heaven for us, he was abandoned by God so that we never will be. Jesus was the suffering servant that Isaiah speaks about 13 chapters before our text for today, the one who was cut off from the land of the living so that we might live. In the death and resurrection of Jesus, the, the glory of God has been made manifest. And, and so it's no wonder that the New Testament calls Jesus both the hope and the Lord of glory. Satan will try to tell you that you are too far gone. You are out of reach. You are, you are alone and separated forever. But you are never beyond the reach of the one who stretched out the universe with his hands. And who stretched out those hands on the cross to win you back. Who even reaches down into the grave to pull you out and raise you to life again. Yes, you will suffer separation in this life. Unless Jesus hastens his coming, you will suffer the separation of death. But because of Christ, you will survive even that. And that means that you have a role to play now. In the next verse, God says through Isaiah, I will send survivors to the nations. We who have survived the wrath of God because Jesus gave his life for us are now sent. We have survived in order to be sent to proclaim the glory of God that we ourselves have tasted and seen and experienced. And where are we sent to? Well, Isaiah tells us, Tarshish, Pol, and Lud, Tuban, and Javan, You know, places that we pastors pretend we know how to pronounce, and and the coastlands far away. So some of you already have your smartphones out. Uh, Open up Google Maps, and no, actually, uh, you won't find any of these places with by that name uh, nowadays. But in Isaiah's day, these locations represented the furthest reaches of the entire inhabited world. In other words, God is saying that He is sending us to the very ends of the earth something that Jesus makes pretty explicit right before he ascends into heaven. We've been gathered to go. Like a football huddle that that gets together so that it can break and accomplish its goals, we are being called to, to break our huddle and share the good news of Jesus. And as Isaiah shows us, our task is not to convince other people that we are right and they are wrong, or that we are good and they are bad, I mean, that's not even true anyway. No, our task is to declare the glory of God as it has been revealed to us by the cross of Jesus. Did you notice how God says we will bring people in on horses and in chariots and litters and on mules and dromedaries? How many of you have dromedaries? Yeah, me neither. In other words, we should use every means possible to bring people to Jesus. Planes, trains, and automobiles, conversations over a cup of coffee, loving people when they're hurting, being there for someone when, when they feel alone. 
and showing them that Jesus is there too. God has made each one of us members of a royal priesthood to share his glory. And it is by his glory and in his glory that we come to his holy mountain, Jerusalem. In our epistle lesson, we read about Mount Sinai and the unapproachable terrors that accompanied the presence of God there. But now, Hebrews says, we have come to Mount Zion, the epicenter of God's presence on earth, where people come to meet with God and experience his presence, not in terror, but in joy. And I love how the writer of Hebrews elaborates on this, just to make sure that we know what he's talking about. You have come to Mount Zion and to Jesus. We have come to Jesus, the epicenter of God's presence on earth and in heaven, the one who has tabernacled among us, who is himself the new temple, whose sprinkled blood speaks a better word than that of Abel. We are gathered to go and to tell of Jesus, but we are especially gathered to go to Jesus. He is our ultimate destination. No matter where we go in this world, no matter where we are sent, we are always going to Jesus because he came to us. And very soon, he will bring to us the holy and heavenly city, the new Jerusalem. And you might have noticed that that's, that's not just something that we find in the book of Revelation. No, I, Isaiah speaks to us of the new heavens and the new earth. This is a new creation of God's that will last for all eternity, in which we will forever experience joy and peace and, and unity with God. Some stories of separation in your life will, will end in reunion and regathering. Others won't. But the grand story of your life, the grand story of all humanity, the story of separation from God because of sin, ends with God bringing us all home, all together again. And his promises of resurrection and eternal life are just as alive and well here in Isaiah as they are anywhere in the New Testament. We will live forever with God in a new heavens and a new earth. And God tells us that there all flesh shall come to worship before me. When the people of God get together, we will fall on our faces. Not in fear of death, but in awe of the God of life. One scholar has written, Now all flesh can revel in the sight of his face, a face with no trace of a frown, but wreathed only in smiles of joy, a face that once even to glance on was certain death, but that is now the source of life itself. This is worship. Rejoicing in the life-giving presence of God. That is, by the way, why we are here today. God has gathered us together in his presence as his people to receive his gifts. We gather as young and old, German and Gentile, Democrat and Republican. We gather, most importantly, as one. We are like a family gathered around the table and we come together to support one another and to rejoice in all that God has done for us. We gather around the table of the Lord with the family of God from every corner of the earth, past and present. 
And Jesus himself is truly present with us today in his body and his blood, bringing us the forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. We look forward to that final day when the Lord will gather all his people from the ends of the earth. For now, we are gathered here. In just a little bit, we will go out from here. We will break our huddle and be sent to share the glory of God. As we do that, may his peace and his presence go with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the peace of God, which transcends our understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in and through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.